You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. We're continuing in our series this morning um, called Christmas Carols. And so we're looking at the, the biblical passages that underlie uh, some of our favorite Christmas carols. We're doing one each week. And uh, the one this morning that we're going to look at is one of the most uh, beloved and well-known songs of the entire season. It's actually first written as a poem, not as a song at all. Um, the lyrics, as we'll see, were changed against the wishes of the songwriter. The tune was used against the wishes of the composer. And the first line kind of compromises biblical accuracy a little bit for the sake, in my, in my opinion anyway, of finding a word to rhyme with king. But nonetheless, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing contains some profound truths about who Jesus is and some of the most memorable and singable stanzas of the entire Christmas catalog. So let me give you a little bit of background and then we'll look at the biblical truths that, that underlie it, um, mainly because I think the background of this hymn uh, is just funny. I find it funny. So it's written by a guy named Charles Wesley. Some of you all probably heard of Charles Wesley. He wrote the hymn, or it was actually originally a poem in 1739, about a year after his conversion to Christianity. And so like, just as an aside, if you're someone who is brand new to the faith, maybe you recently came to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus for the first time, or, or maybe you're somebody who feels like, well, I made a decision a long time ago, but I haven't really grown much since then. I, can I just encourage you, you can grow in the gospel rapidly and deeply come to understand theological truth. If you'll just commit yourself to some spiritual habits, uh, because the, the things that Charles wrote about, he's writing about within a year of his um, conversion. So just an encouragement. But Charles Wesley wound up writing about 6,000 hymns, um, which would make him the record holder for prolific hymn writing, if not for uh, a woman named Fanny Crosby, who actually just like blew past Charles Wesley and wrote a little over 8,000 of them. Um, but he, Charles has this famous brother. Uh, and anybody know Charles Wesley's famous brother's name? John, very good. John Wesley, who founded uh, Methodism. And so John and Charles didn't really like when people messed around with their hymns. They felt like, we've done this, and this is pretty good, and you should just leave it the way it is. So here's a, a thing that John wrote in the preface to one of their hymnals. He says, he writes, quote, Many gentlemen have done my brother and me, though without naming us, the honor to reprint many of our hymns. Now, they're perfectly welcome so to do, provided they print them just as they are. But I desire that they would not attempt to mend them, for they really are not able None of them is able to mend either the sense or the verse. Therefore, I must beg them one of these two favors. Either let them stand just as they are to take them for better or worse, or to add the true reading in the margin or at the bottom of the page. This is the funny thing to me. That we may no longer be accountable either for the nonsense or the doggerel of other men. 
<laughs> so if you're someone who feels like, like you love King's Cross and you love our worship team and every now and then we sing a song and you're like, why do they have to change it? Um, you and John Wesley are in the same play. Wesley just felt like, just leave it alone. Despite that, Wesley has this rather famous friend and, and kind of mentee named George Whitfield. George Whitfield knew the Wesleys well. They did ministry together and part of the Great Awakening in the early part of our country's history. And, and Whitfield did rewrite the first line of the song. He rewrites it in 1753. Charles, the original line read this way. Hark, how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. But Whitfield knew that everyone, everywhere, for all time, was going to ask the exact question that you're asking right now. What is a welkin? <laughs> welkin was an old English term that even in the 1700s was already archaic. And nobody knew what it meant. It was kind of meant to describe um, heaven. So Whitfield has the good sense to change the first line to the now well-known, Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Charles, when he wrote the hymn... Uh, and he moved his poem into his song, insisted that the hymn, quote, be sung to a slow, somber, and boring religious tune. That's his instructions. Like, can you imagine? Where's Jacob? If I, if I went to Jacob and said, uh, here's what I would like. Please give our people something boring on Sunday morning. But that's what they did. And for 103 years, it stayed that way until... In 1857, a guy named Dr. William Cummings paired the now-changed lyrics with a new tune, the one that you and I uh, know so well. That tune has a funny story in and of itself. He stripped it from a cantata that had been written two decades before, in 1840, to commemorate, of all things, the invention of the Gutenberg Press. <laughs> True story. So... The composer of that tune originally expressly said that the tune must only be used in a national and merry subject, for a national and merry subject, and said, quote, it will never do for sacred words. Thus was born against the wishes of both the composer of the tune and the writer of the lyrics, one of the most beloved and lasting and theologically rich Christmas carols in the English language. It talks primarily about the incarnation itself. And it gives, I think, three profound truths straight out of the scriptures that Mr. Wesley was reflecting on. Three truths about the incarnation this morning. The first is that the incarnation is good news. It's good news. This is how the carol begins. Hark, which just means, yo, listen, pay attention. Like, that's, all, that's all hark is. The herald angels sing. A herald is, um, is a messenger. Heralds are people who, who bring the messages at the time, um, especially the message of a king. So, for example, Israel is called to be a herald of good news for God to the nations in Isaiah 49. God himself gives Israel a herald of good news in Isaiah 41, 
27. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, sends a herald out to command all of the people to worship him in Daniel 3, 4. And the apostle Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness in 1 Peter 2, 5. This is what the angels are doing. They are proclaiming something. They are heralding the truth about, the good news about a king who is being born. Hark, the herald angels sing, and then it tells you what they're singing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And then all of those within the sound of the hymn being sung are called into worship. They are implored to join in with these ancient heralds, these angels that have filled the skies over Bethlehem. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. It is a rousing and poetic interpretation of a passage that we actually also looked at last week in Luke 2, verses 8 to 14. Here's what it says. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Before the angel even says what the news is, he doesn't want to bury the lead. I'm telling you, it's good news. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. At its core, it's an announcement of good news. It's good news for all people. It's good news that, if rightly understood, should bring those people great joy. A king has been born, the one who can bring you peace has arrived, the one who can save, who will make a way for all those who trust him to be reconciled to God. He has come. It is an announcement of good news to be received by all who are within the sound of its proclamation. If you are not a Christian yet, can I just tell you that the good news of Christmas is for you. You are not that different from the shepherds in the field that night. They did not receive that good news because they were extra holy, perfect people whose lives are all cleaned up. They were just some dudes. They're just out in the field doing their job, keeping their head down, minding their own business, and God breaks into their world. And so too for you this morning. God is breaking into your world this Christmas season. Good news is being declared to you that Christ the Savior has been born. 
We have in the scriptures hundreds of promises about him that were given centuries before his birth. We have historical eyewitness testimony to his birth and life and death and bodily resurrection. We have just in this room alone dozens and dozens of personal testimonies of how God's grace has radically transformed people's lives and marriages, has broken addictions and healed bodies, has created relationships and torn down strongholds. The question for you this morning is, will you receive it? Will you receive that good news that is proclaimed? Will you receive the grace of God this Christmas, perhaps for the first time? If you've never done that, we'd love to talk with you more about it. The person who invited you here today would love to talk with you more about that. What a better time of year than Christmas to really consider whether or not these things are true so that this Christmas, the good news of the incarnation might become good news for you personally. It's an announcement of good news, not just to be received, but also to be proclaimed and to be passed along by those who hear it. So if you're already a Christian, don't miss, and maybe you can go back this week and read through this in Luke 2, the way that the shepherds respond after receiving the good news of Jesus' birth. Luke 2 says this in verses 16 and 17. The shepherds went and they made haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Or in the language of the hymn, with the angelic host, they proclaimed to the Christ has been born in Bethlehem. They received it, and then they proclaimed it. If you are already a Christian, can I ask you who you're talking to about Jesus this Christmas? With who are you sharing this good news? There is, statistically speaking, and there are research studies that back this up, no time of year where your friends and family and classmates and coworkers are more open to hearing about spiritual things than Christmas. Barriers are lower. Hearts are more open. People are more willing to have spiritual conversations at Christmas than any other time of year. Who are you talking to about Jesus? There's no time of year when people are more open to an invitation to attend a church service. Earlier this year, there was a LifeWay research study that showed that roughly a third of people who attended church pre-COVID have yet to begin doing so again. A third. That neighbor, friend, coworker that you know, that you know used to attend church a lot, they, they may not be doing that anymore. And maybe they'd be open to an invitation to re-engage with the church this Christmas. That person maybe that you used to serve with a lot in KCK or that, that now that you think about it hasn't been to your community group in a while, who's going to invite them if not you? And when if not at Christmas? Do you know there's another study that shows that 57% of people, 57% who don't 
attend church during Christmas said they would if someone invited them. More than half the people. Do you attend church? No. Would you if someone invited you? Yeah. Who are you sharing the good news with? So, yes, we want to join in singing truths about Jesus. Yes, we want to join the triumph of the skies and sing to the newborn king. But can I also encourage you to be a herald too, to talk to people about Christmas. Not in an obnoxious, snarky way. Okay? Like, don't be that person. Don't be the guy who's like, you know, it's Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. Like, don't be that. Nobody needs that. You know? Don't say, like, Xmas, and you say, well, they're taking the Christ out of Christmas. Well, maybe not. They might be using the Greek abbreviation for Christ. So it might be that they're more biblical than you. So st- don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Okay? We just talk to somebody about why Christmas is special to you. And then say, hey, as a matter of fact, we're doing this series at my church. It's kind of pretty cool. We're talking about Christmas Carol every week. Why don't you come with me? Or why don't you come with me on Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve, I don't know if you know this yet or not. Some of you are planners. Some of you aren't. Christmas Eve is a Saturday this year. And so we have two services, one at 4 o'clock, one at 530. But we're not going to have service the next day on Christmas. Um, and so I hope that didn't freak you out, but we got volunteers and staff members and things. And so um, we have Christmas Eve services, two, one at four, one at five. Just say, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come with me? Um, and then we'll go get Chinese afterwards because Chinese food on Christmas Eve is awesome. Because it's somewhere in the Bible, I'm not sure, but it's there, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> it was like the fourth gift the wise men brought from the East. Um, <laughs> it was Kung Pao, gold, frankincense, myrrh, Kung Pao. So um, I don't know. But, Hear me. The incarnation is good news. It's good news for you to receive. But if you've received it, it's also good news for you to proclaim, for you to herald, for you to share. Second truth that resounds through Hark the Herald Angels Sing is that the incarnation is a mystery. It's a mystery. The second verse goes like this. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, that just means nowadays, in these later days, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Chances are, if you're not a Christian yet, at least part of the reason that you struggle to believe is linked to one degree or another to the incarnation of Jesus. That's my guess. Can I just encourage you, if that's the case, if you struggle with the idea of God the Son living as a man... Can I just encourage you that even to those of us who already believe, the incarnation is indeed a mystery. Here are the claims made in the Bible that Mr. Wesley is poetically captured in this hymn. First claim is that Jesus, who is born in Bethlehem, is the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. This 
Messiah Christ figure of the Old Testament is one who was promised, who would usher in the kingdom of God, who would defeat the enemies of God, who would rescue the people of God. And the Bible says that figure who was promised in the Old Testament is this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. Second claim the Bible makes is that this Jesus was already being worshipped in heaven prior to his birth. That the Lord himself, who was from everlasting and is to everlasting. In other words, Jesus is not created. There was never a time when Jesus was not. He is eternal. He is divine. He is God. That's the claim made in the scripture. And third, this everlasting Lord, this second member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God in three persons, has been physically born as a human. He's the offspring of a virgin's womb. He's God the Son in the flesh, deity incarnate, pleased as a man to dwell with Mankind. He is Emmanuel, literally God, with us. Those are staggering claims. And I know that sometimes you'll be turning on History Channel and you'll see something about Christmas and you think, oh, this will be great to watch. And then they bring on an expert who's got a PhD and teaches religion somewhere, probably UNC. Um, that's a different jab for a different time, but... Um, you know, they bring on these kind of so-called experts, and they'll explain this away. And what they'll say is, well, actually, a virgin just meant young woman. That that's all it meant. That is not textually viable. That that is not what this means. If that was what it meant, Joseph would not have resolved to divorce Mary quietly. Like, he didn't suddenly find out she was young and wonder how that happened. He found out she was pregnant and he knew how that happened. So he makes up his mind to, it was just nonsensical that these things that the people say, the claim of the prophets and of Jesus himself and of the apostles and of the church is nothing less than that the eternal son of God who is without beginning and will be without end was born to a virgin fully man, fully God. And he lived and died in our place as our substitute so that we might be reconciled to God by his grace through faith. That is the claim of the scriptures and of this church and of Christians for thousands of years. If you don't think that's a mystery, you're not paying attention. You're just not thinking deeply enough about it. If you are struggling to believe because of that mystery, I get it. I really do. I understand the incarnation is a mystery. But can I encourage you that every story that explains why things exist comes with some degree of mystery? Can I encourage you that, for example, um, if you believe in the, the physics theory of the Big Bang... Um, then what you believe in is an eternally pre-existent, infinitely dense ball of matter. Okay, fine. 
But there's a mystery as to where that matter came from and what outside force acted on it to make it explode. So you believe in mystery too. If you believe in the evolution of species, not the adaptation, we we understand species adapt, but if you believe that one species becomes another species, you are willing to accept the mystery of how that happens because there is no scientific evidence of that. That's why they call it the missing link because it's a theory. Okay, fine. So, and then that's okay. I'm not talking down to you. I just want to point out that your explanation of why the universe exists also comes with mystery. Christianity is just up front about it. We, we say it right up front. God was born to a virgin and became flesh, lived as a man. And so well, that's hard to believe. Mm-hmm. That's hard for me too. That's why it's called faith. Because it requires us to believe some things that we don't quite understand and we can't quite wrap our head around. But if there is a God, wouldn't you expect him to come with some degree of mystery? I mean, if there is a divine being, wouldn't you expect there to be something? I would suggest perhaps many things about the supreme being in the universe that you don't understand. So yes, the incarnation is a mystery, but friends, I would suggest to you that is a good thing. I don't want to worship a God I totally understand. I mean, I'm raising three daughters. I don't understand them. (laughs) How am I going to understand God? Yes, the incarnation is a mystery. But if you reject it because it's a mystery, And I just encourage you maybe to spend some time reflecting on your own beliefs about why there is something instead of nothing, what's wrong with that, and what the problem is to fix it. Because Christianity just puts all its cards on the table right up front and says, here's what we believe. Third truth that we proclaim when we sing Hark Together is that the incarnation is life-changing, is good news. Yes, it is mysterious. But it is radically life-changing. The third verse says this. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. If you're following along with Josh's Advent reading devotional, you spent some time this week in John 1. And I hope that you pondered the mystery of the light and the life that is Christ. Mild he lays his glory by, that's Philippians 2. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. If the focus of the second verse is on who Jesus is, the focus of this one is on what he does. What he makes possible. Light and life to all he brings. Straight out of John 1, 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Risen with healing in his wings. This is an allusion to both his healing miracles while on earth. You can read about those in the Gospels. And the total restoration of all things, the total healing of all things, of all creation upon his second return. He says this 
In Revelation 21.5, Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. The greatest healing of all, the greatest life of all, is the eternal life he grants to those who have faith in him. He was born that you may not die, but have eternal life. It's John 6.50. He was born so that in the last day you might be raised to newness of life. That's John 6.40. He was born so that by God's grace through faith, you might be born again. That's John 3, 3 to 8. The incarnation is life changing. Friends, I don't know what you're looking for this Christmas. I don't know what weight you're carrying. I may not know what grief it is that you bear what longings you have that remain unfulfilled. I may not know what anxiety you're carrying as you look around the corner to 2023 and wonder what it may bring. I may not know why you feel like 2022 was the best year you've ever had. And you just wish it would keep going and going and going because it has been awesome. I may not know the reason for the irrepressible joy that you have that you can just barely contain or what unexpected delights this year brought you that you've experienced. I may not know the spiritual heights that you've summited in your quiet time at home or how the local outreach that you volunteer in has been so incredibly rewarding to you this year. You just feel so blessed. I don't know where you are on the spectrum this morning, but I know this. The incarnation of Jesus is life-changing. It is the single most world-altering, life-changing, paradigm-shifting reality in the history of mankind other than the resurrection of Jesus, which is a different sermon. For now, it is enough for us at Christmas to ponder the truth that the incarnation gives us proof that God is not far away. God is not absent or uncaring or ambivalent about your life. He is not unknowable, and that is good News, mysterious, life-changing, good news. Let's pray. Father, we ponder these things with awe and wonder as surely the shepherds must have when the sky rent itself open and heaven broke through. As surely Mary and Joseph themselves must have when angels appeared to them to prepare them for what was coming. As surely people all around Jerusalem did when on the third day the tomb opened and your son walked out. Christmas can be a wondrous time for us for so many reasons. But I pray that this morning and this week, this season, we might ponder the wonder and the mystery, the awesome life-changing power of the incarnation that we might join our voices to 
with those legions of heavenly hosts who praised you and proclaimed the birth of your son so long ago. We pray that not only our songs, but songs of churches all over our city and all around the world this morning as we sing praises to you, what it is that you have done through Christ, that it might bring you great joy, that it might please you, that heaven itself might join with us and proclaim the birth of your son in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.